one of the things that is a challenge for us, I think, as Christians, is, is staying connected with God. The, the, the whole issue of salvation is about being reconnected to God because of the disconnection that took place. Now we're going to go to look at uh, John 15. I'm going to come up and going to read it in a minute. But just by way of introduction, you know, you can be a new follower of Jesus and be and get really connected with Him. But the other challenge is, is that you can be a follower of Jesus and you've been walking with Him for a long time, and somehow you have got disconnected. You go to church, you pray the prayers, you you spend time with God, but there are certain areas in your life where there's disconnection. There's no fruit. Now, some of those areas we're aware of. Some we are not. But what I'd pray for this morning is that this message, and I, I'm, I'm honoured because I realise that there are people that come here to preach that are kind of like heroes for me that come to your church or preach at your church. You know, R.T. Kendall. You know, whoa, man of God, God, God. <laughs> you know, you've got someone coming from West Village Chapel. These are, you know, these are heroes to me. And I'm standing on here, little know me that comes from North London. And my, by, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm Jamaican by origin. But originally, we all come from Ghana. So I've got African blood in me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, for people who ask me, where are you from? I said, what, Originally? <laughs> you know, I said, well, I'm actually from London, but my parents come from Jamaica, but originally I'm from Ghana. <laughs> they all laugh at that. But I, when I grew up, I grew up in North London. My parents are Jamaicans. They love the Lord. I'll give you a bit of background before I kind of run into it. My mum and dad love the Lord. Uh, they pray for us every day. My mum and dad's 73, my mum's 76. Every day, my mum says, Oh, Dennis, every day I pray for you. <laughs> and for mum and, you know, everybody. And I'm, I'm blessed. My brother is an elder at uh, a local church in Luton. That's, I think it's... Uh, um, Stotsy Baptist Church is a biggish, biggish church. Uh, my sisters, both my sisters, love the Lord as well. So we're blessed as a family. I've been married now for some 30 years, in fact, 30 years in May. <laughs> and we're blessed with two great kids. We've got a daughter, 25, Rachel. She loves the Lord and she's a teacher. And we've got a son who's 20, he's doing his first year at university and loves the Lord too. He's got, I think, got baptized. Uh, Easter Sunday, and he's doing. He's at university, but he's also got a trial to play for the first team at Luton as well. So he's quite an athlete. So we are blessed. Um, in my previous life, I was a teacher, but situation has changed. I'm now a business consultant and trainer, and it seems itinerant preacher and teacher now. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. But God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So what I'm praying this morning is that the Lord will just Help us to reconnect. I sense just in the worship, I sense that, I'll say this, and I think, you know, I know Aunt really well and I Helen, but I just sense that as a church you're struggling. I sense a woundedness about you. I sense that you're trying to push through, but there's a hurt in you guys. And I'm just praying this morning that what God brings from his word will bring healing, bring hope, and just get you to focus on what it is that God is trying to do. Because you know sometimes what happens is when we're hurting and we're not pressing through, we try, and, we try to do it more. So we, we, we pray more, we worship more, we read more. But actually what it is is an issue of connection. 
an issue of connection. You see, because you see, the reality is that there's nothing more you can do. The fact is that it's your connectedness with him, his life, it was came out in the prayers there, his life in the, in the meeting before, flowing through us and in us, that causes us to grow. So wherever we are disconnected from God, in that area in our lives, we are dysfunctional. Now I'll say that again. Wherever we are disconnected from God in our lives, in those areas, we are dysfunctional. So the issue is always an issue of life and connection. Individually and corporately. So what I hope now from John 15 as we go through this and as we read it, that God will help us to just see some things here that will help us individually and more importantly corporately as a church to get reconnected to the source so that we can begin to flow with what God is wanting to do. And by the way, let me just... um, um, promote that series, Gospel in Life. We did that series about earlier this year. Great series. Give you a line from it. Tim Keller says this, talking about community, he says this, we will never know God, grow deeply, change deeply, and change the world apart from community. We will never know God, change deeply, and change the world and, and reach the world apart from community. So I really commend that series to you. And what Ant said, I was like, Amen. We need to get out of here and we need to connect with those people who are looking and searching for Jesus. And the gospel in life will help us to do that and see it beyond just getting saved and going to heaven. The fact that we have a mission, and that mission is to communicate the love and mercy and grace of God to a world that is looking for Jesus. Amen? And as Ant said, stop squabbling over well what hymns we sing and the way we do it and all that nonsense. Totally agree with him. I was like, yes! <laughs> okay, let's get into this message now because we've got to finish this today. We're not not preach the eternal message eternally. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. So what's Jesus saying here? What he's saying is this. I'm the source of life, period. I'm the source of life, period. There are other sources that you, we all have, but he's saying, I'm the true source. Whatever source you have, or we have, will never satisfy us. Look at John 10, 10. What did he say? He says, he says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have what? Thank you. Uh, that life that is full. In other words, God is the provider. Look what God says, he says again in John 6. He says, I am the bread of... Thank you. I'm the only source that satisfies. John, in John seven thirty seven, Jesus on the last day of the feast says this, Jesus stood up, in, in a loud voice, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. So in other words, if you're thirsty, come to the source of So what does this say to us? Who is the source of our life? Well, let me just take you there, but before I take you there, let me just say this. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis 1.1 says this, this, quite simply, simply this, that God is the source of our life. Yeah. God is the source of our life. And what happens in our Christian walk, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, is somehow we lose that sense of, you can change it now. <laughs> and you can change it again. That's it. God is our source. God is our source. Now, what happens, you see, when you come to Jesus as a follower of Jesus at first, you are so overwhelmed by his love and his mercy that you look to him for everything. But what happens gradually is that you can get busy with church. You can do all the right things. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can come to the prayer meeting. You can do all of that stuff and somehow get disconnected from the source. You know, you, you, you go to work, so you always expect the salary to come in. And as much as you know God provides it, really, it's the job that's your source of income. Well, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you used to look to him to affirm you and love you, but what's happening now is you're looking to other people to affirm you, gradually. You're looking for their affirmation. And slowly and surely, you begin to move away from that source. You know what happens? In a marriage, that's challenging. Because what happens is that the two people, instead of finding their source in God, they find it in their work or in other people, and they begin to drift apart. And what happens is people focus on the fact that they're falling apart and not on the issue of the fact that their God is no longer their source. And it's easy to do. You, you can come to church, you can do the religion, you can do all of that stuff and not have God as your source. And you can look good on the outside and on the inside what's happening is that you are finding your source of comfort somewhere else. But this morning I want you to say that God is your source. And you see, in our economic climate, what's happening is the jobs that we've looked to have been shaken. You know, mine disappeared. And all of a sudden now we have to understand that is this just something we sing while we are worshipping? Or is this a reality when God starts to shake the very thing that used to provide us with income? You see? That person that we look to to affirm us, they no longer affirm us. And that's actually codependency. And you're depending, this is an issue, particularly if you're grandkids and they get up. This is stuff a little ahead. My kids are 20, 25. But what happens is, is the son and the daughter at some point needs to break away from their mother. But if you're the mother and you don't want them to break away, then you create that situation where every time they're trying to break away, you pull them back. And you have lots of tension and arguments. And it goes something like this. After all the things that I've done for you. <laughs> after all the things I've done for you, is this the way you speak to me? 
Now, that's all right when they're seven, you know, when they're kind of 10, 12, but when they're 20, you're being cheeky. When they're not being cheeky, they're actually expressing their opinion. But in your mind, they're still a child. You won't let them go. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? Some of you, you will find out. <laughs> Codependent. Yeah? The idea is that we got kids, ultimately we give them wings. Yeah? Harder for mums, I know, because you bear them for nine months. Us men, well, you know, we do the first part and we come in there somewhere else. Yeah? But for the mums particularly, it's an issue. How can you let them go? The funny thing is, once you let them go, they come back. So that with our daughter, you know, she, well, from 13 to 17, she was, ah, you know, you know, I hate you. <laughs> yeah? You know, and, and mums, when they say it, don't be deeply wounded over it. it they do get over it. You know, I just heard my son say it to me, oh, I hate you. And I thought, yes, he's on track. You know, <laughs> you know, I still have to minister to R, but the fact is, you know, he's on track because Rachel said the same thing and now they're big, big love. <laughs> yeah, big love now, 25, 26. Oh, mommy, I love you. And I think to yourself, there was a time when Rachel would say to me, I hate you. <laughs> All right. See, I'm giving you information ahead of time. But what I, now, what was I saying? Now, <laughs> But the issue is this, that God is your source of affirmation. He's your source of love. He's the one who loves you totally, unconditionally. So you need, we need to get back to making him our source and not our job or our family or our friends or our position or our status or our education. Yes? See? You understand? Oh, bless God. You've got good people here, man. I can see this is going to be a long word this morning. <laughs> so what happens if we are not connected to the source of life. He cuts off every branch that, that, that bears no fruit. <laughs> I always think that this John 15 is an interesting verse because it says, you know, I remember I was in this meeting, a guy, and I heard this man, he was, I think he was from Africa, he said, you are divine. And we're all thinking, that's a great thought. And then he said, and you are the branches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were all like, yeah, man. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. It's a funny verse because when you read it, you say, you know, first it's like, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Oh, that's good. But if you don't, you won't. I, oh no, it goes on to say, and if you do bear fruit, I'm going to prune you. Ooh. And if you don't bear any fruit, you're going to get pruned anyway. So... <laughs> It's a kind of a tough verse because it's like, ooh, ooh, not too sure about this. So that means if I bear fruit, you're going to cut me anyway. And if I don't, you're going to cut me off anyway. And here's the thing. It's not actually, you know, what it says there is that you, he, bears, you know, he, he cuts off every branch. The reality is that if you get disconnected from the Father in, and continue to have a trajectory that's away from him as opposed to toward him, you're going to drop off anyway. That's the truth. That's the truth. You know, if you move away from him, ultimately, you will die. You will die. So it's not even that the father has to cut you off, you're going to drop off anyway. So then, I'm going to ask a little question here. You know, what's at the heart of our gospel? What's the heart of our gospel? Well, 2 Corinthians says this, 
5.18.19. And if you know the verse, the verse before says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation, the oldest pass away, behold, the new has come. And then Paul goes on to say this. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was what? Reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. So, at the heart of the gospel is the message of reconciliation. How we can get back into relationship with God and each other. See, see, you see, the evangelical background I came from focused very much on us being reconciled to God through the work of the atonement. Well, I mean, yeah. If I said that in my church, I have to explain what that means. But you know what? Jesus, the substitutionary sacrifice that he made on the cross for us, where he became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, we know that. Yes, that's truth. Yeah? Good theological truth, good angelical truth, the truth that we all stand in. But there's another part to it. The other part is that God wants to reconcile us to each other. Because at the, in the fall, not only did we get cut off from God, but we got cut off from each other. And if I had time, I'd develop that. But, yes, I have time. So, you see, in the garden, Adam and Eve were naked, and everybody makes a big deal about their naked. That was trying to point to us to something more important. The fact is that they were vulnerable, they were transparent, and they were open. There was no hiddenness in their relationship. And with God, there was total transparency and communion and intimacy. So Adam had it with, and Eve had it with God and with each other. When the fall happened, what happened? You read it in chapter 3. First, they hid from each other. They put loincloths on. So the issue of vulnerability and transparency was broken and they immediately realized they were naked, so they hid from each other. And then, of course, the next thing, God's walking in the, in the garden in the middle of the day and they hid from God. Foolish thing to do. How can you hide from God who knows everything? But they hid. So they hid from each other and they hid from God. So the effect of that on us is that we hide from each other. You know, husband and wife can hide from each other. Let me be self-revealing with you. I've been married 30 years that there are certain aspects of my life or things that are going on in me that I may not share with my wife. Now you think, oh, why is that? Because she might beat me with it sometime later when I'm, yeah? Ah, now you see it, I'm speaking. See, some of you know what you're talking about. Yeah, you see, whereas Adam and Eve, there was nothing hidden. You see, for you to make yourself vulnerable, it was always the risk that the person that gets the information might use it against you at an appropriate time when you are having an argument and beat you over the head with it. <laughs> and the, yeah, you see, this is true. This is good. I'm connecting with you. So, yeah, because you see, church isn't just about great erudite sermons. It's about connecting with people so that they know that this is that the guy up front is just as real as they are and is working through the same stuff they are. Or you realize that you're not, and you should be. <laughs> yeah. So, the issue is with the work of salvation. When God saves you through the work on the cross, he's looking to not only just redeem you and deal with the sin that was the thing that was offensive to God in terms of God having to punish that and deal with it through the death of a man, Jesus, but he's also looking to redeem the relational aspect of your being, the emotional aspect of your being, the spiritual aspect which he's dealt with so that you are returned to a better place than you were before the fall. That's the plan. 
So we learn to be vulnerable with each other. That's why God, that's why I said it's not just being reconciled to himself, but to each other. You see? And the gospel in life that you're going to do is going to talk about that. That, that, let me tell you. When you fail, when you sin, and we are powerless not to sin, but that's why we need a savior. Yeah? Right? Our natural reaction because of the fall is to do what? It's to hide, isn't it? When you sin or you know you're not doing what you should do, how often do you want to go see the pastor? Or go see someone you know who's spiritual? What you want to do is hide. I do it. You know, I know it should be like meeting, but I've been in sin, so I'm not there. And the funny thing is this, that actually we should be doing the opposite. The place of safety and the place of healing is the body. Yeah. So... We confess our sins to God, 1 John 1, 9, but we also confess our sins to each other, James 5, 16, and we run to the body where we will receive love, mercy, acceptance, and not judgment. Now, here's the problem, friends. The church has not been like that. The church has been judgmental. The, pers- the church has been gossipy, so you find that your business is all over the church. You've not been accepted because everybody has this standard that you've got to live to, so when you're not, and you, and you open your heart up, people go, well, really? Well, Dennis, I never thought that you would do something like that. How could you? Well, and I thought you were a man of God. Go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah? So people don't feel safe. So one of the things that this community has to do, is something that we have at the vineyard, is to develop a community where it's safe to fail. And it's safe to share your stuff and you know you're going to receive grace and mercy and truth because truth is important as well as grace, yeah? And mercy and love because if that's what this chapel church is like, the people will come. Because the people in St. Albans and Hatfield and that, they're hurting. Relationally, obviously, spiritually, of course, financially, Right? And it's the church which is God's answer to that. But the church has to model what God is really like. And God, it says down there in Exodus, I think it's about 34, when Moses wanted to see God and he said, you can't see me and live. And then it says his glory passed him by and it said, the Lord, merciful and gracious, full of compassion, forgiving. That's what God is like. And that's what the church is to replicate in the way that we relate to each other so that it's a place where if someone is caught in sin, Galatians you know, 5, 6, we restore one another gently. We're not there trying to beat up on each other because it's not happening. No, it's a place of mercy and grace. And when the world sees that, that's when we get there. And in fact, we're ahead of me. So, thank you, bringing me back to my text. <laughs> Think of your life as a vine. There are parts of your life that are connected to, to God that bear fruit. To increase the fruit, what does, God, what does God do? Well, through suffering, discipline, grief, truth, confession, trials, tests, God begins to shape us. And let's just go. Suffering, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. No, it says this, that, you know, whatever trial and test you're going through, is nothing to compare to the glories in you. Yeah? In other words, you think that that if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you're never going to have any suffering. Wrong! 
Look at the life of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus suffered. And it's a good thing he did because we have someone in heaven who can identify with our weaknesses. So he knows what it is to be verbally abused. He knows what it is to be physically abused. He knows what it is to experience stress and pressure. He knows what it is to be rejected of men and women. He knows it at an intimate level. And we're called to walk that way. So you will know suffering in your life. You will know trials and tests. The issue for us is discerning that which is from God and that which is not. That's what we have to learn. There's some suffering that you embrace. And there's some suffering you don't embrace. Jesus, he, was, he embraced the cross. Yeah? Hebrews, I think it's 3.13. He embraced the suffering. You know, he, he went through that process. But when the Pharisees wanted to try and kill him, he, he didn't have that because it wasn't time. And he walked away from it. In your life, you will have suffering. You, and friends, don't rebuke the devil. Because it's not him. You know, it's the momentary light affliction, the suffering that we experience is, is creating us God's character. And we need to understand that. Discipline. We don't like it. And in Hebrews there it says that, this, that the discipline that we give, uh, God doubt gives us, proves that one, we're part of the family, and two, it produces three things. Peaceful fruit of righteousness, peace and joy. So the issue is once again learning to hear God in the midst of it. I don't like discipline any more than you do, but God uses it to produce character in us and to prune us. Grief and failure. Now, that's a difficult one for us, but God uses grief. Now, if you come from a, 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 a kind of church background where it's victory and, and, and you know, winning and all that kind of stuff, there's nothing wrong with it, but, it's, but the truth is you will have no grief in your life at some point or other. And the grief isn't your wife or your husband. Right? Though they could be, you know, they could be the conduit through which it comes at times. <laughs> but it's actually the things that you go through. Sometimes grief will come through the loss of a loved one. Yeah? This is part of God's plan. He uses it. You know why? Because you see, grief is a thing that will cause you to your trajectory to move towards God or away from Him. See, all of these things are to get us to move towards Him. It's the word here is so that we learn to depend on Him. Failure is important. You think that just because when you sin, like when I sin now, I think that maybe God doesn't love me. He does, his love has changed towards me. Wrong. His love is the same towards me whether I sin or not. In fact, while I was an enemy, he was chasing me down. Yeah? And actually, God uses failure. In my life, when I, I fail or fall into a sin, you know the question I'm asking is why? What is it that drives me to be depressed? Or what is it that drives me to, to look at pornography? Or what is it that drives me to, to drink? What is it, what's the drive? Most of us focus on the sin. The sin is not the issue. The issue is what's behind it. And that should send you on a journey to actually go after God to find out what it is that's broken in you that needs healing so that you can stop the behavior. Much of what we used to do in evangelical church, nothing wrong with it, was we would preach that God is good, which is right, that we are bad, yes, it's true, and then we must challenge sin. And then you repent and try not to do it again. Now, that doesn't, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't produce fruit. Well, the issue is not the sin, the issue is why? What's driving it? What's behind it? Is it 
rebellion. So what's the reason why you're rebelling? Is it maybe because you never managed to break free from a parent, so therefore your response to that is to rebel? Or is it that there's a brokenness in you, and it's a hurt and a wound in you, and you need to get that healed, and once that is healed, the desire to overeat or to seek sexual, sexual satisfaction in a wrong place, or to be depressed, is diminished because we've dealt with the root. Does this make sense? Yeah? See? We're not just trying to impact you. I'm not just trying to impact you cognitively. I'm trying to just say to you, this is what it's really all about. So, failure, God uses. 1 Corinthians 10, 30, there's no temptation, is overtaking that is common to man. But God is faithful. With it, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The enduring it is actually part of what I've just said. Saying, why, Lord? What's happening in me? Why do I react like that? Why have I got a problem with anger? Why is it that I feel rebellious? Why is it that I feel just? And begin working with the Holy Spirit and with others to begin to address that. Conf- uh, truth. Well, the truth, you know, we, to speak the truth to one another. Truth is important in there. Because, you see, if it's, there's grace, there has to be grace. And by the way, how the grace works, well, I'll come to that in a minute. But truth is important. As God, as the truth sets us free, to actually see what's really going on in our lives. And sometimes that truth is ministered through one another. Now, some churches, they're too they're big on truth, so they will, there's always someone who's going to confront you, but careful for that. It's the truth surrounded with love, mercy, affirmation. Um, yeah, the atmosphere of love. Trials, well, bless it, Paul says there in Romans 5, 5, he says this, that, that the various trials that we have are to produce what? Proven character. That's what it's about. James 1, 12 said, Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial, for in due time they will receive their reward. So this is a, these are the tools that God uses to prune us. This is the way God operates in our lives. We need to wake up and recognize it. And understand that, which, that God's plan is to, here's the word, sanctification, to sanctify us. Now you see, it's funny, if I said that first, then everybody, oh yeah, sanctification, you know, one thing, and we'd know the scriptures. But when I put it in that context, you begin to realize, aha. So all of these things are what God uses to prune us so that we can grow more. Yeah? So don't fight it, it's part of the process. Now, he proves us so that we can produce more fruit and he provides for us grace. Oh. Now, you see, there's two aspects to grace. There's many aspects to grace. So I'd be wrong with you today, too. There's the grace, by grace you are saved through faith and this is not of your own work, but it's a, a, it's a gift of God. So the fact that you are saved, that's, it's a wonderful thing. It's, a merit, it's not merited on any work that you've done. It's on Christ has done. We know that. That's a theological position. But you know, friends, there's a grace that is released to you in the community of God's people. You say, well, how does this work? Let's say Anne and I now, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in relationship with Anne, and so just, he's my mentor, he's my pastor. So I come and sit down with him, and I start to share what's going on in my life. And I start to share some sin that I'm getting into. Uh, I've made my confession to God, but I've made a confession to him, and what happens is, is the grace of God now is ministered into my life as he prays for me. 
not judges me and says, oh, Lord, why? Because he realizes that he's as susceptible to that sin as I am. So he prays for me and he prays with me and he ministers God's grace and mercy and forgiveness to me. So I not only just get it through the word, 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 I get it through a brother. Most of us in the body of Christ or the God's community, we miss out on that. You know why? Because unfortunately most of our churches are not safe. I.e. we don't feel safe enough to make ourselves that vulnerable. Are you hearing me? So we need to develop a community where it's safe. You're not, you don't share with the whole church, but three or four people that you share your stuff with and they ask you hard questions and you're not just accountable, but they minister God's grace and mercy to you. And of course, his grace is also the empowering presence of Jesus so that you can be and do what God has called you to be and do. Another definition of it. So his grace, his mercy, he was for. You know, oh, friends. You know, the fact that Jesus is the high priest for us and he's like us and he's walked in, on the earth and experienced our humanity, we can come to him and we can receive grace and mercy for our time of need. For you to do that, first, it's easy to get honest with God because he's up there, but also we can receive that from each other. The Holy Spirit. Oh, The Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us into all truth concerning the Bible. He leads us onto the truth about ourselves. Maybe, you know, I'm reading a book called, we're doing a series called how People Grow, uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud. And in it, he talks about how the Holy Spirit will help us to understand things about ourselves we don't, that we didn't really understand. For instance, you know, I'll be self really. My mum and dad, when they had me, they weren't married. This wasn't uncommon back then. But one of the things about it was that my mum didn't know whether my dad would stay with her. So when she was holding me, carrying me, she was thinking about giving me away. Now, somehow I caught that. So in my life, there was a sense of being rejected, and I never knew why. But what it created in me was a, a fear of being left. So imagine if you come into a marriage with that, what happens is you will never challenge your partner because you're afraid they will what? Thank you. But the Holy Spirit revealed that when I went into ministry, and I was able to get help for that, and get over that sense of rejection. And even now, I'm working through my life so that I can know what it is to be accepted by him at a deeper level. Is that helpful? Is that helpful? You see? So, the Holy Spirit can help you. There's things that, you know, some of you are depressed and you don't know why. And all it takes is for us to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the incident that was the gateway for that depression that you didn't know about. But yet the Holy Spirit brings it and then we get revelation and it all makes sense, then we can pray. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. He's the most maligned part of the, God, of, the, of the Godhead, but he's the most important because Jesus said, when he left, it's the Holy Spirit that woos us toward Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to see the truth about ourselves, the truth about his word and truth about what God really feels, thinks about us deep in our heart, not just conceptually. Conceptual understanding will never keep you when you feel grieved. 
Conceptual understanding will not happen when tragedy hits your life, if it does. It's only when you know it in your heart, and the Holy Spirit communicates that. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is what? Shed abroad in our hearts by the who? Holy Spirit. He communicates it to us personally. And then there's a community of God's people. This should be the safest place on the face of the earth where God's love and mercy and grace is administered to one another. James 5.16 says that, you know, we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, the Roman Catholics kind of got it almost right, but then you can confess it to some man in the back box. But God's intention was that you have relationship with the person that you're sharing with. And as we confess, you know what happens is this. We have to humble ourselves. Two, we have become dependent on God and each other. We, we spend less time challenging one another and realize that we've all got issues. And as we pray for one another, and that Galatians 6, 1, 2 there, it just says that, the, that those of you, you know, when you come to restore a brother or sister, you do it with a spirit of gentleness, knowing that you two are just as vulnerable as they are. Now, do you think that a community where there's mercy, where there's grace, where there's acceptance, where there's truth, is a community that the people out there are looking for. Do you think they will come? Now, this is how it works. You go out and you live next door to your friends and your neighbors and all the rest of it, and you begin to interact with their lives. You talk to them. And you befriend them. And before long, they start to share their stuff with you. And... What you need to do, you know, we talk we evangelize people. We don't, you know, it's, it's not, it, what it is, is this. You listen. And you listen, one to them, and you listen to God. And if Lord just prompts you, you just say, can I pray for you? All right, and they're usually thinking, they say yes. So generally, they think you're going to pray for them next, you know, when you go home. You say, can I pray for you now? I've done this many times. And there and then, sometimes on the street or, you know, if it's work or I should be, just pray a simple prayer. Don't pray how you would pray in church. That will, that will kill them. You, know, they, 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 you, know. you just pray a simple prayer. You know, you don't say, wash them in the blood of Jesus. Yeah? No. They, they're thinking, what is this? Some kind of right? You, know. you just pray simple prayers. Ask the Holy Spirit. And you just pray, Lord, comfort June in her pain. And Lord, I ask you now that you would just come by your Spirit and let her feel your love and your mercy and your grace. And just wait. They're usually crying. They're usually crying. I'm crying with them usually. Right? Because God just comes. Because you see, he, can't, he loves to connect with the lost. In fact, he's obsessed with the lost. So if you make yourself a conduit, he'll flow. You don't have to feel full of faith and power. You may feel down. The matter. You, you stepped out in faith. You were the conduit with which God could connect with that person. And all of a sudden now, they experience the love of God. I have a lady that I pray, I pray for as a customer of mine, I have a direct sales business. For, I've been praying for for years. And she's a Christian. I'd pray for her husband's there. And in fact, Pete would say, yeah, Sue's there. I'd pray for her. You know, she'd talk her stuff and I'd pray. The Holy Spirit come and minister to her and all the rest of it over the years. And in fact, it was our wedding anniversary and they said, we want to take you out to dinner. They don't know Jesus. But they said, we're taking you out to dinner. And they, yeah, it was a nice dinner. But what happened there is that we just ministered God's mercy. And you, can, you don't have to be a minister of the gospel. You can do it yourself. That's, you're supposed to be able to do this. So the last thing on there is comfort. 
And we comfort one another with the comfort with which we've been comforted so that we can comfort all others who are in their distress. So these are the things that God provides for us as we go through the proning process. Is that good? Yeah, amen. Now, I think we're almost finished now. Now, just on that little bit about those areas where we're disconnected. The funny thing is this, that God cuts those areas off. You know why? Because he's not into do it yourself. You said, what do you mean? Well, when you became a follower of Jesus, it says that you died to that old life. And God, what he does is he just cuts off the thing and starts again. He doesn't try to resurrect it. Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So in other words, what we're saying is this, that that life that you had, that's been, you've been, that, God, that God cut you off from, that's fine. But what he's doing is he's, he's starting again. He's making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. And it's our process. So the bits that are not working, he cuts off and he just starts again. So let it go. Let it go. And let it, it'll start again. You didn't have the childhood that you should have had. Let it go. You'll just start again. You didn't get the love of the husband or the wife that you should have had. You didn't get the affirmation. Let it go. It'll start again. Yeah? You didn't get what you wanted in that relationship, in that situation. Let it go. Because he's going to start again. Because he makes all things new. The process of redemption isn't just to save you on the cross. It's to make all things new. And to bring us into a place where we experience everything that Adam should have and better in Christ by the work of his spirit. Mm. Thank you. Oh. That's a good preaching. <laughs> yeah, I'd listen to this. <laughs> so what is the key to staying connected to him. Remain in me as, and as I also remained in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what's the key word here? Remain in me. And we've seen how to do that. You know how you do that? I'm going to give it to you. We must make God our source. This morning, whatever, you, whatever strategy you have been using to survive in your life, this is the morning to let it go. It's got you here, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. It's going to fail you. Make, make a determination. You say, Lord, by your spirit, by, I'm going to make you my source. We decide that God is going to be our provider. This has become a reality for me. Since my job disappeared in November, you know, we've been working self-employed. God is my provider, and I really know it. And I've had, a, you know, for the first time, I, I had a check just come out of the blue. You know, some of you know who have experienced it, experienced it, but I've not experienced it like that before, because I said, Lord, we haven't had a lot of business this month. And the check came out of the blue, and I thought, oh, bless God. God is my provider. I knew it intellectually, but now I know it in, rea in reality. And here's the thing, friends. The process of redemption 
works best when we surrender to God as Lord. And this is what I've put here. When we surrender to God as Lord and return to our rightful role of being dependent on Him. This morning we have to return to our rightful role. God's role is to rule the universe. His role is to be our provider. And our role is to be dependent on Him and live within the boundaries that He has put. He has provided for us His Holy Spirit so that we can, working with each other, we can learn to control ourselves instead of trying to control each other. The longer you've been married, the more you know this. Yeah? We spend all our time trying to control each other. When God's intention was that we learn to control ourselves and allow God to run his universe and we live within the limitations that he's put for us. To do that, we need to stay connected to him, abide in him. Now, this means that we have to learn to be dependent on him and surrender trying to run things our way. You say, well, how does this work? It's simple. It's a just, I'm going to say simple. It's two words. It can be summed up in a wonderful hymn that I used, that was my baptismal hymn. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's it in a nutshell. That if we can abide in him and rest in him and know his life connecting us to him, then we will find that God will begin to bring back to life those areas in our lives that were destroyed because of the fall. His purpose is to restore you to a better place than you had before the fall. Old hymn said this, In him the triumphs of Adam boast more blessings than their fathers lost. What it means is simply this. What Jesus has accomplished for us at Calvary and the process of redemption puts us into a better place than Adam had before the fall. Amen. So commit yourself to be abiding in him. Commit yourself to growth. Allow God to work in you because he's going to restore you so that one day you stand before him without spot or wrinkle. And we see the original deal. You see, at the moment, God sees you as complete. As far as he's concerned, it's done already. We're in process at the moment. Stay in the process. Should we stand?